Okay, we're going through the life of Jesus. We're going kind of in and out of different Gospels. We have the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, what I'm doing is I'm just taking the life of Jesus chronologically or making an attempt to. And so we find ourselves in John chapter 3, if you have your Bibles. John chapter 3, and we've titled the message this morning, Born from Above, or How Come My Blank Doesn't Come to the Lord. My brother, my sister, my mom, my dad, something like that. How come this person doesn't come to the Lord? That's kind of how I titled it. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that your word illuminates our path. We thank you for the clarity of the gospel spoken. And so, Lord, as we have an opportunity to come to the heart of the gospel, I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be wide open to receive that which you have for us, even in preparation, Lord, of communion this morning. So bless this time that we have to you, Lord. We offer it up to you. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The new birth, why doesn't my, hmm, come to Christ? One layman noted the problem with some of his fellow church members who seemed called to oppose every aspect of the church. He said, some people are born again and some people are born against. And I think sometimes we see that in churches. It's easy to point out the negatives or the the bad things that we see. Um, Truly, God has not called us to do that. God leaves that up to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is able to convict individuals, to bring them to the place. And the sad thing is we never know where people are in their walk with the Lord. So we might, uh, unless we're led of the Lord to be able to speak grace into their lives, we might mess something up that God is doing. And so it's very important that we're sensitive to the Lord. Interesting story I found. This is a true story. On January 26, 1994, Frederick Green was found stiff and cold on his bedroom floor. A neighbor contacted the police after noticing nearly two weeks of mail and newspapers piling up at the 82-year-old man's door. Officers broke into the house in San Leandro, California, and discovered Green. The report noted... He did not appear to be breathing, his flesh felt hard and chilled, and the stench of decay permeated the house, unquote. Protocol for such events required a coroner's office technician to gather evidence and take photographs. Lieutenant Dennis Glover told the Oakland Tribune, as the technician's cameras flashed, there was a very soft gasp. Green was revived and immediately rushed to the hospital where he was treated for a number of problems and doctors believe he suffered a stroke. This associated press release reminds us of a spiritual truth. Satan has deemed us dead and gone with no hope for life. Yet one flash from the light of the world can bring about new life and and the experience of being born again. Incredible story. Yesterday at the men's conference, one of the pastors shared that he was in prison serving time. He had uh, got his second strike 
and he was addicted to drugs. An individual who would come visit uh, visited within prisons had a, a ministry to just go to prisoners, and he shared with um, all the all the inmates that he was sharing with. He shared, uh, but specifically this brother uh, just took it personal. He shared, if God could remove one thing from your life, if he could just grant you one thing, what would that one thing be that God would be able to to give you, that that you just haven't seemed to attain? And he remembers this addiction that I have to drugs. It had just tore him up. And so he said he prayed and... He received the Lord and just asked him, if you can take this away, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And he woke up no longer addicted to drugs. And the Lord would raise him up, senior pastor, and he was just sharing all these <clears throat> neat and uh, just stories that God had did with his life and through him. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at, um, there's just so much, John chapter 3. We're going to be looking at how God wants to reach people, how God uh, rescues people, how God delivers people, saves them. But we're also, just as a Christian, utilize this chapter and next week, John chapter 4, as how do I share with people? How is it that that I go about uh, witnessing, if you will? I want others to come to the Lord, and I want God to be able to use me. And so we have the ultimate in Jesus showing us an example of how it is that we are able to reach people. And so this is John chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Jesus answers this religious individual, and it's almost out of left field what he gives him. Hey, you're a teacher from God. We know that there's there's no way you can do these things unless God were with you. And then Jesus Jesus just comes at him and says, yeah, you need to be born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So Nicodemus, a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews, there was a 400-year blank spot before Jesus would come on the scene and the last prophet in the nation of Israel. 400 years would transpire They're called um, the silent years, if you will. But in that time, Judaism would continue to move in a direction, and you would have these individuals within Judaism begin to rise up, religious leaders. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, they would come up. And so this individual is part of one of those groups, a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the most conservative They believed in all of the Old Testament. They believed in the miracles. They believed in eternal life. Where the Sadducees, on the other hand, they only believed in the first five books of Moses, the Torah. They uh, did not believe in angels. They did not believe in miracles. So they were a very liberal 
branch of Judaism. So this Pharisees, the scribes were lawyers and they copied the law. They were the copyists of the law. They would copy the Bible. Um, but this Nicodemus is a Pharisee and we in the church, we see Pharisees for what they are, but you have to remember in this time, these were religious leaders. These were individuals that people looked to to be introduced to God. So, so they didn't have the, I don't know, the, the connotation that we give them today. Well, Pharisees, you know, Sadducees, these religious people, they were hypocrites. They were um, bad because they weren't directing people to the Lord. But it, it wasn't so in the time. And so this individual, um, Nicodemus, is somebody who was trying to seek the Lord. He was an individual who thought he was doing right. And he comes to Jesus and he sees something in Jesus. And what is it that he sees? What are the miracles? Well, we, we saw him within the last two weeks when Jesus did his first miracle. He turned the water into wine. And then we saw when he goes and he takes a, a leather whip and he cleanses out the temple. And so Nicodemus is, is standing back and he's looking at this and he's saying, this is something that's real. This is something that probably needed to be due done for a long time and he comes to Jesus and Nicodemus has been criticized because he comes to Jesus at night and and some have said well you know maybe he was scared to come to Jesus in the day because he didn't want the other Pharisees to see him Uh, whatever reason he comes to him at night it it could have been because Nicodemus was the teacher in Jerusalem he was the elevated teacher in Israel He was the number one teacher, and Jesus is going to point that out later in this chapter. And so whatever the reason is, he comes to Jesus at a time that that he can have him alone, and he gets him alone, and he says, you've got to be from God because nobody can do these things unless God were with them. Now, true and maybe not so true, because there is coming one on the scene of this earth that is going to come with all lying signs and wonders, the Bible prophesies. And that will be the Antichrist. And he will deceive the entire world. And so, do miracles prove that somebody is from God? No, not necessarily. Do miracles prove that Jesus was from God? Absolutely. In addition to all of the prophecies that were fulfilled, that were given thousands of years prior to Jesus coming on the scene. And so he um, comes to Jesus, and Jesus responds, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The word again in the Greek means to be born from above. And it's a spiritual birth. It's God coming into a life and doing something supernaturally. And so Jesus is letting him know that he must be born from above. He must be born again. Verse 4 goes on to say, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And so Nicodemus is seeing this as something physical. And he's thinking born again. Let's see. I was born once, I was in my mom's womb, I came out, I guess I got to go back in to my mom's womb, I don't know if she's going to appreciate this because I don't think I'll fit, but he, he's just thinking on a total physical level, 
Well, to be born again, because I know the first time I was born, Jesus answers him in verse 5 and says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is now explaining what this born again is. He's saying you need to be born of water and of the Spirit. Three interpretations as to the meaning of water. What does it mean to be born of the water? Well, some people believe it refers to the washing of the water of God's word. Uh, Other people, the second thing is it refers to baptism. You need to be baptized and then born of the Spirit. And still other people believe it refers to physical birth. Um, I'm of the opinion that it means just a physical birth. Water, the water sack. The water breaks, you're born, you come into the world. And so to be born again means to be born from above, born of the Spirit, but you need to be born into the world, come out, and then be born again spiritually. I think it's just that simple. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So moving on now, Jesus continues and he says in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. And so simply put, Jesus just says it's, it's a natural thing. You have natural birth and you have spiritual birth. Here, let me give you an example. The wind. How does the wind manifest itself? Can you see the wind? Not really. You see the effects of the wind. You see leaves, right, shaking in the wind. You see a dirt kind of tornado or something being picked up by the wind, And he's saying exactly as the wind works, you don't know where it's coming from. Whoa, was that a south wind, a north wind? Where did that come from? But you know the effects of the wind because you're able to see it. And so he says in the same exact way, so it is to be born again. The spirit does a work behind the scenes. And you may not see the spirit, but you definitely see the effects of an individual who has had the spirit come upon or into his life. Verse 9 goes on to another question Nicodemus raises. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? And so Nicodemus is pondering. He's taking it in. He's listening. And he's kind of, it's just, ah, it's just, I don't know, just out of his reach. Jesus answered, verse 10, and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel, And it's interesting because there's a definite article in front of both of those words. Not only are you the teacher, but of the Israel. Are you the teacher of the center of spirituality? If, if nobody on earth knows this, Nicodemus, you should know this. You are the teacher of the Israel. And then he goes on, and do not know these things. Nicodemus, what he needs is a new heart. And you have this transition of this 
this thing that the nation of Israel was, were supposed to be looking for and to all of their life. I've always been puzzled. How were the Jews in the Old Testament saved? How would they attain salvation prior to Jesus Christ coming and dying on the cross? And as you study and as you learn, you begin to find out because we do have the New Testament and we have Romans that talk about Abraham and how he was saved, an example of David and how he was saved, Moses and how he was saved, you see that the Old Testament saints were saved in the same exact way that we are saved today, faith in Jesus Christ. Even prior to Jesus Christ's coming, they were to look forward to the coming Messiah, to the promised one. From the very beginning, if you read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, if you continue to read through the Old Testament scriptures, you see over and over that redemption was going to come through the one that was promised, the Messiah, the Christ. And they were by faith supposed to look forward to the Messiah that was going to deliver them from their sins and from the bondage that they were in. And we as Christians, we look back to the cross 2,000 years ago, and we're able to see the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so they were saved in the same exact way that we are saved. In Ezekiel chapter 11, let me read you verses 19 and 20, the Bible says, then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and take the stony heart out of their flesh And give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. And so back in Ezekiel, God was promising a new birth and this is how I would do it. I would take their heart of stone out of their flesh and I would replace it with a heart of flesh that beats after my own heart. Their statutes, I mean my statutes, my laws, my judgments, I'm going to put them in their mind and they're going to know what they need to do. And it would be this supernatural work. It would be a supernatural birth. It would be a spiritual birth, not a religious thing where we come to church and we hear commandments and then we try as hard as we can in our own strength to keep those commandments. No, he's saying, I'm going to do something that's supernatural. I'm going to, I'm going to write the tablets of my, uh, of my commandments on their heart. And not only that, but I'm going to give them a desire to obey them. There's a scripture in 1 John that says the commandments are God, of God are not burdensome. And they're not. There's a, there's a desire for Christians to simply obey we, we want to please the Lord. And again, that's part of the supernatural birth. It goes on in verse 11. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. Jesus still speaking to Nicodemus. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven That is the son of man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
And so now Jesus begins to speak Nicodemus' language. Nicodemus, you know the Old Testament. You know Moses, the deliverer. Remember when the nation of Israel, the children of Israel were complaining in the desert? Remember that story, Nicodemus, Jesus could be telling him? And remember, in their complaining against God, God sent fiery serpents to bite them. And those who were bitten by those fiery serpents began to die. And Moses reached out to God and prayed, and God said, here's the solution for the nation of Israel. He could have said, have them stop complaining, if you know what I'm saying, but he didn't tell them that. He said, I will deliver them from the fiery serpents. Take a brass snake and put it around a pole and hold it up. And anybody who's been bitten by that snake, if they just look at the, at the serpent on the pole, they'll be saved. They'll be delivered. They won't die. That was God's solution. That was God's way of delivering them from death. And somebody within the camp could have said, look, I ain't looking at a brat. That's quirky. Look at a brass serpent. I don't want to do that. Die. Then die. It was God's response to meet the need of the nation of Israel. And somebody could have resisted it. Somebody, somebody could have said, well, that's hokey. That doesn't make sense. I, I can't, yeah, my intellect doesn't receive that. That was God's solution. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that he would draw all men unto him. That is God's plan. God says, I'm going to demonstrate my love to the world by taking their sin upon myself and being crucified. And as I'm lifted up, if people so choose to look to the sacrifice of the cross, they will be saved. Well, I don't really agree with that because you have all the religions in the world and all the different belief systems. And again, that doesn't appeal to my intellect. There's got to be something I can do to help God out. You can believe that. You can hold on to that. But God has said there is one way that man can be saved. And he made the way. He did it. He took our place. And he's saying this is the one way you can be saved. And not only will I do it, but I will prove that I am who I say I am by calling my death and then rising on the third day. Muhammad did not rise. Buddha did not rise. Confucius, and so on and so forth, did not rise from the dead. Jesus not only carried the cross or carried the sins of the world on the cross, but he died and on the third day he rose again, calling it to prove that he is who he said he was. And so this is God's way. The Bible says in John 14, Jesus speaking, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me and by me. And so we can pick it apart. We can say it's too simple. We can say, no, there's got to be a better way. And all day long we're arguing with God's way as those, those individuals were bitten by the snakes 
and then God provided a way of escape, a way of salvation, a way to be delivered, and all they had to do was look at the snake on the pole that Moses was lifting up, so it is with salvation. There is no other way. And this is an assault to everything about us as people. We want to help God out. We want to do something for God. Our guilt at times can be so overwhelming that the things that have been done in the name of religion are just, people will, will, will walk up a mountain on their knees on glass and cut themselves. I've heard testimony of nuns in convents who would go in a basement and they would take something like a flagellum, a cat of nine tails, and they would rip and shred their backs in trying to bring to God some sacrifice to show that they are worthy to receive the salvation that they have. And God is saying, there's nothing that you have to do. There's nothing you have to do except humble yourself and just say, Lord, here I am, such as I am. And I accept it. I receive it. I thank you for it. And then you live a life of gratitude. In order to be saved or maintain your salvation? No. Out of just gratitude for what he's done. He provided the Savior. We provide the sinner. As we go on, in verse 16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The single most published verse in all of the world. It's it's a simple declaration of the good news, the gospel. The love of God shown in action. Note four things. Number one, the source of love. God, the extent of love, the world, the sacrifice of love, he gave his only begotten son, and number four, the result of love, whoever believes in him should not perish. And so everybody is included, everybody has an opportunity, there's nobody that's beyond the reach of God, and so we see the gospel in a nutshell. Verse 17 goes on to say, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And this comes across from pulpits and from pastors and preachers and priests and teachers and religious leaders that God is mad at us, that God is sitting up in heaven and he's waiting for us to get out of line so that he can throw a lightning bolt at us and strike us. And yet the Bible doesn't declare that. The Bible is clear that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Why didn't God send his son into the world to condemn the world? The world's already condemned. We're born in sin. We've been bitten by the serpent. And Jesus is providing or God is providing through Jesus the remedy to that. Verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
And so the title of our message was, Why Won't or Why Doesn't So-and-So Believe? It's given to us in verse 19. We would think that people don't believe because they've had a rough childhood. People won't believe because life has given them a bad hand. People won't believe because preachers have just so adulterated the truth of God that it's just hard for them to sift through the hypocrisy of religion. And and we can come up with all of these reasons why people won't believe, but God gives it to us in verse 19, John chapter 3, verse 19, and this is condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That is why people won't believe, because they like their sin. I got a call last night in bed trying to sleep after the blazing sun was beaming on my face at the men's conference, so I was just wiped out. And I get a text of an individual who doesn't understand why he continues to go into sin. And he's given it to me, and my wife wants to leave me, and I'm just struggling in this area, and he's just on and on and on, and I'm thinking, no, I just want to try to go to sleep. I am frail as a human. I don't want to minister at that time of night. And so he asked me the question, Why do I keep stumbling in sin? And I text him back as quickly as I can, because you like it. And thank God he left me alone after that. No, he gave me one more. He said, I do like it. And I prayed as I hopefully fell asleep. I, don't, I probably fell asleep quicker than I could say amen, but nonetheless, I gave it a shot. Sin is fun. As I contrast my walk with Jesus at 21 and my life before Jesus at 21, I had a lot of fun in sin, but sin has inevitable consequences, and I didn't like the consequences. I didn't like the results of those sins And the only fear I had as I was living in the world and in sin was the fear of getting caught. Over and over, I just wanted to live for pleasure and live for the things that I thought were just, they would bring these experiences. And each time, they they didn't. They always kind of elevate themselves up to be something. And then I experience them. And if I could just do this, and if I could just have this, and I could just be with her, and if I could just, and on and on it went. And each time, it was... Yeah, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, didn't bring me. Yeah, good girls go to heaven, bad girls go everywhere. That's Chuck. He gives me just every once in a while. I'm going to write that one down, Chuck. Good girls go to heaven, bad girls go everywhere else. That was my life, but I was not a girl. But nonetheless, I was going everywhere else. And it just got to the place where, wow, there was a point I remember in my life, before I became a Christian, I wanted to be good. I wanted to be good. I I wanted to stop doing some of the things that I was doing, and I I felt bad. I just felt, wow, you know, I feel bad about some of these things. 
and try it as I would, I would fall short. I, 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 my desire to be good, I, I couldn't. And it wasn't until I did surrender my life to the Lord that he gave me the power to do what I wanted to do. And that is, in a nutshell, the new birth. There's a scripture in Timothy. Let me read it to you. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And this is our strength, guys. This is what we need to uh, look to in the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse, chapter 2 verse 1. It says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I came to the Lord in August of 1986. Since August of 1986 to today, 2011, not one cuss word has come out of my mouth. I have never gotten drunk again. I've had two drinks since I've been a Christian but I've never gotten drunk again. And on and on and on and on, these things, just as I reflect and look at, wow, the the things that I've desired, the things that I wanted that I couldn't do in and of myself, the power of God and the grace of God was able to do. And can I, along with you, say that we've arrived, that that we're a finished product, that we've got it all figured out, that our lives now are perfect? No. We're still a work in progress. And at the very same time that God delivered me from alcohol and delivered me from profanity and vulgarity coming out of my mouth, I can give you embarrassing things that I struggle with to this day. And yet I know that the grace of God is my strength because that grace will continue to work in and through our lives until the day we go home to be with Jesus. And so though we're not a finished product, we're definitely not what we used to be, amen? And we're not what we're gonna be. God is preparing us for eternity. And every single one of us is a work in progress. Every single one of us as a Christian who has surrendered our lives, our hearts, we've received Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he's made. Each one of us. But as my brother in the Lord called me last night, you like it. There are things that we do that we like. And it's not going to be until even in those things that we're struggling with that we say, Lord, I need to cut this off definitively. I need, to, I need to make sure that I don't have access to these things anymore. That God wants to participate with you in this walk that you have as a Christian. God wants you to surrender certain things. God wants you to admit, Lord, I can't do this without you. Can you show me? Can you help me in these areas that I struggle with? And in that confession... And in that desire to move towards God, he will give it to you in the moment that you need it. Not a minute sooner, not a minute later. Another friend that I had, I remember speaking to a while back, he struggled with smoking marijuana. And he had given up everything and just his life was just, oh, wow, just what an example of an individual coming out of the world. And the same thing he said, it was three months that I was a Christian and I still struggled with smoking weed. And he said to me, 
It wasn't until I just told God, I don't want it anymore. I like it, but I don't want it anymore. Can you help me? And then just that crying out in that pleading, it would be that God would remove that from him. But again, there's a work to do. And we're cooperating with God. Has God taken over anybody? No. Your free will is alive. It's alive and well. It's intact. And so you have to, again, cooperate with the work of the Spirit that God is doing. The last two verses, verse 20 and 21. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. There is two worlds that exist simultaneously on this globe. There's a kingdom of light and there's a kingdom of darkness. And the only way we know to differentiate between good and evil that which is godly and that which is ungodly is through the light of God's word. And I guarantee you, if you try to figure it out on your own, you'll be deceived all day because the, the enemy of your soul is very good at what he does. And so we have to get our marching orders from the scriptures. It's in the word of God that we need to be so that it can illuminate the darkness that is around us. And you may look good from the outside. You may look like you have it all together and figured out. But if you are not conducting your life based on God's word and allowing him to supernaturally do a work first in you and then do that work through you, then you're blind and you're deceived. And there are many, 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 many people that are on the broad, broad road, according to the scriptures, that leads to destruction. In fact, the whole world is on the broad road. And in that world, you have religious people, unreligious people, you have people, just the whole world is on that road. But Jesus would say, narrow is the way to life and few are those who find it. And that narrow road that God has us or wants us on is again found through the scriptures. Dr. Arthur Galliser quotes an anonymous rabbi who has said, a time is coming for all men when they will be either born again or wish they had never been born at all. May we be faithful to our call so that those with whom we have con contact can know the joy of being born again. To be born again, again, means to be born from above, born of the Spirit of God. And it's an affront. It's a slap in the face of, what can I do to get to heaven? You can't do anything to get to heaven. There's nothing that we can do to get to heaven. Jesus Christ has done it all. And so in the simplicity of a surrendered life, when somebody comes and they have a gun and they put it in your back and they say, stick them up, you surrender. And that's what God is calling every single one of us to do, to live a surrendered life to the Lord. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of sharing with an individual. I pray, Father, for everyone here, even as we go into a time of communion, Father, that we would desire to know you fresh and anew and that we would grow, Lord, in the grace and knowledge of your word, allowing your light to illuminate our path. Thank you for the work of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody stand, please. I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you're not sure, if, if you wonder, have, have I ever been born again? Have I been born from above? Do I have this supernatural birth? If you have, follow me in prayer out loud.